All right. All right. It was on. All right. Hey, everybody. Uh, glad you could stay uh, for digging deeper today. I'm going to put this up here. Um, good to see you at home, or glad you're with us, rather. I need to figure out my language a little better, but glad you're with us at home. Thank you for staying. Uh, just to open thank you to Leonard. That was, a, that was awesome. Uh, here, Leonard, I'm going to give this to you for some fielding. Glad you could say, there's so much in this text that I didn't know which way to go, but here's just the themes, uh, Christ the victorious, uh, the empowerment in the, of the Holy Spirit and the authority of Scripture, Spirit and Truth, um, obedience to the principles of divine Scripture, the humanity and deity of Christ. You see him winning where, uh, where we always fail, and you also see him struggling where we always fail as well. Uh, Christ the perfect Israel, um, Christ the perfect dragon slayer, that's a fun one, uh, warfare between Christ and Satan, the tricks of the devil, and the suicidal exchange for sin and temptations offers. So we got a lot of stuff to talk about today, yeah, and that's just some of it, I mean it's dot 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 etc. etc, it just keeps, there, there's so much in here, we could be here all day, you guys, I hope you brought some coffee, no. <laughs> um, all right. Um, for the bulk of our time, uh, I'm going to spend a lot of the time just in the context, the first few verses of this, talk about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the first temptation, uh, and then we can suss out a lot from the first temptation that we'll, we'll go through the next two uh, a little easier. So, all right, the whole, uh, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. All right, the Holy Spirit, he gets two mentions in one sentence right here, uh, isn't some impersonal force. It's not like luck or karma or some balancing energy like, would, like you would find in Buddhism um, or, or Star Wars. It's nothing like that. It's not like it's, it's a force. He's, it's not, he's not an it. He's an he. He's a he. Uh, he's a powerful being, co-equal, co-eternal with the Father and Son. Uh, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. Uh, it's texts like, like these and many other that we, as Christians, reject what's called modalism. That's like... So God has different costumes that he goes, put, that he goes to put on, like uh, in his divine closet, there's one for the Father, there's one for the Son, there's one for the Spirit. No, you see, like in the Bible, you see Jesus talking about me and my Father, or, or a helper will come. Uh, like, so he doesn't play, like God doesn't play the, the Father in the Old Testament, Jesus in the Gospels and the Spirit for the rest of the book. Uh, these are three different, distinct persons. Um, uh, God isn't one being playing three roles. He's three, he's three beings in one playing three separate but perfectly united roles. Uh, God is a community, as Leonard has said before. Um, so why does Jesus live by the Spirit even though he's God? You ever ask that? I have just an aspect of that answer. Um, because God because it's God's intention for Jesus to be the example. Um, in, hum in humility, Jesus subjects himself to the Father's will and the Spirit's power because he's showing us that that's how we're to operate and that's, uh, that's how 
you and I are to operate according to God, filled by God. That's how we operate as Christians. According to God, filled by God. So that's spirit and truth. We're according to the word, according to the word, filled by the God of the word. Okay? Um, First John, or uh, not First John, the Gospel of John uh, tells us spirit and truth. These are God's worshipers. These are God's people. They have these two things one in themselves. Uh, because we are in God, and God himself is in us. The mystery of the gospel, according to Colossians, is Christ in you. Uh, God of the universe takes up a residency within us, and there's this in this in language throughout uh, the New Testament, especially Jesus in the book of John. I am in the Father, you are in me, and we are in the, uh, we're all one. That Jesus accomplished that. Because we were saved by God, from God, for God. That's why he moves in. Takes the pilot seat in our life. And just uh, some notes about the Spirit. We are indwelled by the Spirit, according to Ephesians 1. The Spirit is our assurance. He comes along and says, you are the, son, the, you are the sons of God. He gives us this, uh, uh, this ability to call God Father uh, and proclaim Christ. He's our power. So he's our assurance and our hope, according to Galatians 4 and Romans 5 through 8. <coughs> we understand the gospel by and the whole Bible only by the Spirit, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, one of my favorite chapters. Um, and the Bible is a supernatural book, and it's because it's only understood supernaturally. So we need the Spirit to understand the gospel. Um, all scripture is inspired by the Spirit as its writers were influenced to document and explain the truth. According to 2 Timothy 3.16, uh, we kill our sin by the Spirit, according to Romans 8 and Galatians 5. Um, we worship rightly by the Spirit, uh, Spirit and truth, uh, according to what we, the verse we already talked about from John uh, 4, uh, 4, verse 24. True worshipers will worship God in spirit and truth. Uh, we get guidance from the spirit in the form of directional conviction. According to John uh, 16, 16, 8, the spirit will convict of sin, righteousness, and the judgment. This is good. This is bad. This is where they both lead. That's what that verse means. Um, we pray rightly by the spirit who comes alongside us, according to Romans 8, and he... he uh, you ever hear the, the, like the, the auto-tune that someone can't sing, but then they put that on their voice? You hear it probably a lot these days. Uh, that's what the Holy Spirit does with our prayers. Uh, when we don't even know what to pray, he'll, he'll, he tells us, he, su he suggests us, even if it's just, Father, help. You pray what you got. That's the best prayer advice I've ever gotten, by the way. Pray what you got. Maybe you don't have much, but you can still say help. Um, and the Spirit empowers boldness. The uh, Philippians one six through uh, we, we don't fall. We have not received a spirit of timidity to fall back into fear, but of one of power, love, self control. Um, and so, you want to know what the Spirit's like, and this is God saying, you want to know what I'm like. Look at Jesus. That's how we know what's God. What God's like. All right, so we, speak, we see the Holy Spirit driving Jesus' ministry after his baptism. The Spirit remains on him. That's what makes Jesus unique. Uh, I liked how you put it. Um, the Spirit wasn't chronically on people until, how'd you say that? Yeah. He was episodically, uh, yeah, throughout. You'll see him interspersed in the Old Testament. You'll hear uh, kind of 
you'll hear mentioned, but it's kind of like a little whisper of, um, of the Spirit. And the Spirit, in my mind, maybe not yours, that's fine. He's the most mysterious character in the Bible. And, he's, and you also get this huge understanding of humility from him. You don't see him accepting glory very much, though, do you? Like, yes, he's called the shy. Remember, he's anything but shy, but they call him that because he's, he's kind of like God in himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, love each other so much. C.S. Lewis called it the dance. Uh, the, I'll glorify you. Okay, but I'm going to glorify you. You see the Holy Spirit as it pertains to biblical things and, uh, and how God is, exor- is, uh, is working in, humili- in human history uh, as being that force that makes sure Jesus is, is glorified. That's, I, ha- I can think of no bigger display of humility than the humility that is in God. That's insane to me. Uh, all right. Jesus being led. Let's talk about that for a moment. So he's full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is this tug, all right? He's going to lead him. Um, uh, all the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, um, say this, that Jesus was led. There's intent in that. There's a plan. There's a purpose in this. This is a God-ordained face-off that the Spirit is leading Jesus into. God is not willy-nilly with everything. He's intentional about everything, never waiting or wondering about what's going to happen or waiting to see. He knows. He's in tomorrow just as much as he's in today. Notice Revelation was written 2,000 years ago. We know how it ends. God is not jostled by things that, that we are. He knows exactly what's going to happen. That, that gives me so much ability to breathe when I'm overworked by anxious things and those things are within us. All right, so, so he's intentional about everything. He's, he's leading him out there. Uh, uh, Mark's account uses the strongest language. Mark's account of the whole temptation is only two verses long. Uh, Matthew and Luke give us more detail, uh, but Matthew has uses the strongest word. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Drove. This is the word for drove that the New Testament uses. It means a, a forceful expulsion. Jesus does this with demons by his command. You just do the power of his word. You're done. Get out of here. Um, we feel this sens- this sensation. Uh, when we read the word sometimes, like, uh, and when the gospel hits us, there's, an, there's this expulsion that happens where something just happened and something was removed from you and, um, and, you, and, you, and you have this, this, Christ just moved in and it feels like you have a supernova in your veins at times. And he, it's fireworks for some people, it's not for everybody else. Some people it's gradual. And you have no idea, really, when you were saved. It's just like, some, I just started believing the gospel and it happened. That's some of us. Not everybody's fireworks. Um, just give yourself heart some peace if you started wondering if, like, should I have expected that? Um, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but the, it, there's this, uh, we feel this sensation when the gospel hits us. Matthew's account gives us, uh, like, some purpose and meaning details. Then Jesus was, this is Matthew, uh, Matthew's account of this being led. And then Jesus was led up by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. That's, that, that infers something a little different than what Luke does. Uh, this is language for a fight. 
like Jesus is picking a fight here. So he's out of the water, into the wilderness, sleeves rolled. Like he's going to face off against our great enemy. Great enemy of the church, the great enemy of all peoples, but the great enemy of the church, uh, namely. All right, so, so why? Leonard did great in the whole 40 days, the, parable, the, the bread, it's all looking back. Uh, to Old Testament parable, uh, to Old Testament uh, parallels, and the next verse will help us to see that a little more. And he ate nothing during those forty days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. And probably one of the most understated verses of the Bible. If I fast for forty minutes, I'm like, "Where's the rock? Give me for bread." Um, hangry, yeah, yeah, yeah. <coughs> All right. And the devil said to him, "If you are the Son of God, command this stone." to become bread. All right, when those days were ended. Uh, Matthew and Luke tell us that this occurred uh, after the 40 days were, was over. Mark's account tells us uh, that this uh, makes it seem like it happened while he, like within those 40 days. Uh, either way, rather the devil came while or after, we know that the devil came at the end when Jesus was at his weakest, as we were talking about during the service. And he's tired, he's isolated, he's hungry, hangry. And He's vulnerable, and the devil seizes his moment. All right, this is when people are most susceptible. This is when our guard's down. We have some example. Uh, David. David, uh, it says that his boys were out fighting. He stays this one out. He's at home. He's on the roof. The Bible says he was on the couch. Uh, he, he was lounging. He was chilling. All right? Um, while there's battles to be fought. And that's when he goes, wanders over to the edge of his roof, looks down at his kingdom. You tend to survey how much you have in times of temptation too. It's not a good thing. Um, sees Bathsheba. And then bad decision after bad decision. Might as well push him off the ledge because everything just chaos after that. He's tired, lounging, he's fought a lot. He's alone, so isolated. We don't know if he was hungry or not. He was hungry for something, and he got it with Bathsheba. Esau, what did Esau do? Sold his birthright for what? Food. Food. Here's a bowl of soup or oatmeal, whatever it was, for your future. So we make those little exchanges in the midst of temptation because we like instant gratification. Now, like, Satan offers instant, instant gratification over godly contentment. Instant gratification is probably the demonic counterfeit of contentment. Contentment is huge. Spurgeon said, I sin because I believe there's more joy in it than can be found in God. That's why we sin. Maybe, you know, in FOMO, fear of missing out. If you don't, because uh, Satan says from the garden to the temptation, I don't have it on screen, to the temptation to today, find your rest in this. Find your satisfaction in this. Detour, devour this. You might not be happy otherwise. You might not get this otherwise. You can gratify 
and satisfy yourself with this, whatever your this is, our this is. So as long as we're directed away from God, Satan is happy. These are the vehicles that he uses, your fatigue, your hunger, your isolation. The bad news for Satan and the good news for us is that Jesus wasn't directed away. Jesus stays the course so we can draw near to him in our time of need according to Hebrews 4.16. The sure and steady anger as we sang today. Point is, by the end of the text, we'll know that Jesus wasn't done until he was victorious over the enemy. Uh, because it's not until Satan is defeated, because uh, it's not until Satan is defeated. That's when Jesus was done with his fast. Yeah, the 40 days were over. He's not done. So we think he's done, 40 days over, box checked, I can eat now. Uh, or he can eat now. So why'd the devil tempt him to end the fast after he's done? He wasn't. He had ulterior motives that showed in the bread. Uh, Jesus wasn't done. Box isn't checked yet. There's a different angle to this first temptation. Satan's goal here is to make us sure, uh, is to make sure Jesus never fulfills his mission. See, Jesus was led out into the wilderness. It doesn't say he was led to Satan. He was led out there to be tempted by him. Satan found him. Said, I know this guy. He's the one. He needs stopped. See, because he was there when judgment was pronounced in, in Genesis 3. He will crush your head. That was the judgment that was pronounced. Someone's going to come along and end you. So he, he's expecting this blow. Satan knows, the same as the demons, this is the one. You notice uh, the demons already know who Jesus is. They've met him before. So if you are the son of God, they need him to stop. They know who he is because he calls him the son of God. It says if, but he does call him the son of God. Jesus doesn't just find Satan in the wilderness. Hey, hey, I've been finding you. I'm the son of God. There probably wouldn't have been a handshake. Uh, and we'll see that here. Um, he needs to stop and make sure he never gets to the cross. If, that word if, if you are the son of God, the very first word Satan uses is designed to evoke doubt, the same as did God really say in the garden. He's trying to get Jesus to doubt his own identity and authority. Does the same thing with us. And the Christian status of belonging to God, being children of God. And so when that happens to you, if you need a place to go, you go to Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. He's our big brother. We go get him. Uh, and there's also these uh, Ephesians and Colossians will help you. Uh, abundantly if you're struggling with your identity. I would also say the book of 1 John. All right, and the rest of the temptation is designed not to break the fast necessarily, but to break God's will. And I got this from, a, uh, from my study Bible. Speaking of, we got one left. Oh, I thought somebody took it. I was like, yeah, somebody, I was excited to run out of these. What's that? Oh, okay. Well, well, nobody knows if they're on the front pew. But we got, we got two more, I guess. Oh, man. All right. 
Most interpreters agree the most likely reason for this temptation, this first one, uh, was it was why it was wrong to change the stones to bread was because he would have been cheating using supernatural power instead of depending on God's provision. In order for him to be the perfect Israel, he must depend on God where the people of Israel in that wilderness generation failed. Jesus never uses his deity to cheat, by the way. Then you, maybe our, your mind starts to go through the rest of the scriptures and you start looking at it. Um, what about this? What about this? He never makes things easier for himself. He only uses his deity to glorify God or for the good of others according to the will of God. And two, the Spirit commands the fast. He let him out there and he ate nothing. The Spirit commands the fast. Ending it prematurely would have been an act of disobedience to prevent him from fulfilling all righteousness. When he's baptized, and John's like, what are you doing here? You should baptize me. Jesus says, we need to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus aimed to end the fast when the test was over and no sooner. So it's not over until it's over. It's not over until the devil's defeated. Praise God for that. Jesus doesn't give in. God would signal the end of the fast by providing food. And it doesn't tell us in Luke's account, but in Matthew's account, it said the angels came to serve him. They brought him food and water. They ministered to him. That was the signaling showing us also Jesus' status. When I'm hungry, I've never, or fasting, no angel has ever brought me food. Much as I prayed for it. Uh, All right, verse 4. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He, he, uh, he goes to Deuteronomy 8.3. Uh, and he's going to go to Deuteronomy every time he answers the devil. Uh, book of Deuteronomy has been called Jesus' preferred book. Uh, but it goes back to those texts because Jesus being the perfect Israel, he goes back to that wilderness story. And it kind of communicates us uh, to us, gives us a little bit of depth behind what's going on here. All right, so all, all sin is an exchange, according to Romans 1. It's all, ex- all an exchange. Um, God for whatever. Uh, Jesus doesn't make that exchange. So Jesus is showing us here that he's the perfect Israel who succeeds everywhere they failed. And that's what's up with the 40-day thing. And that's, and that's why he goes to Deuteronomy about the wilderness generation. Uh, at every time, with every response, God supplied for them manna every day for 40 years. Uh, not to mention quail and water, and they grumbled, effectively throwing it back in God's face. I mean, it's three days after the huge phenomenal fireworks thing of parting the seas and walking through. If you look on a map, they're on a peninsula. There's nowhere for them to go. Uh, He makes a way. There's a sermon in there. but um, And it's three days later after God does this momentous saving, explosive event. Saving them from their captors and drowning their captors. Picture of Satan in there and Jesus on the cross. But it's three days later they start grumbling. Why'd you take us out of Egypt? At least we had food there. Like, oh, come on. I saved you. (laughs) And that's all we'll talk about that. But, and that's when they begin to fail by that grumbling. We have 
Grumbling is a massive sin and because it's the enemy of contentment as well. I find it hard to say that because I've committed it so much. Um, Hebrews 3 tells us, Hebrews has been kind of a companion to the book of Luke so far, at least for me. Um, Hebrews 3 tells us that they, the wilderness generation, those uh, rescued out of Egypt, rebelled and hardened their heart by sin's deceitfulness, and God was not pleased with them, but provoked by them. They failed their test. Jesus is the perfect Israel. They fail in the wilderness for 40 years, and Jesus defeats the devil in the wilderness after 40 days, not succumbing to the offers of evil in exchange for God. Now, he's qualified to make a new people, a new Israel, the church. That's us. Yeah. Got a green light. Yeah. They did that to him. Yeah. So if you say, well, Jesus was they had an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Leonard's saying um, they had the opportunity, the Israel um, that, that was rescued out of Egypt, to, to go into the promised land sooner. Uh, but because of the decisions that they made and the exchange that they've made, God uh, was not pleased with them. And set them in the desert. And I think that it says until everybody from that generation had passed, right? So that was his judgment. That's uh, that's where you see his um, his active wrath happening when the consequences fall immediately for something done against God. That's, yeah, he was forced to withhold that good thing that he had had for them. And he's being faithful to his own, um, to himself. If God, God doesn't transgress himself. Good, good observation. Um, it is written, all right? So Jesus subscribes to the authority of Scripture and, talk, and talks back to deception, to the t- deception of temptation, because that's what temptation is. Um, largely, by telling it the truth. He refuses to operate independently from God, and we should as well. Every, my, a lot of my personal um, failures as just a husband, father, elder, Christian in general, have, beca- have happened because I get ahead of my shepherd. This way, Jesus, is what I say to him when I do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I get a little gung-ho about a thing or two, and... Uh, That's what happens here. Uh, And that's what Jesus doesn't do. He does not operate independently of God. Adam and Eve found Satan's uh, twisted words to be enticing, and they should have said, God said, period. Um, They allow the roaring lion Satan to play with its food, effectively. Uh, So the first Adam failed. The last Adam doesn't stutter, mess around, give Satan the time of day, or allow a conversation like they did. There's a dialogue that takes place. Satan's playing with his food. Jesus doesn't do that. 
God said, man shall not live on bread alone. Matthew's account goes a little further, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, over. Done. Notice Jesus doesn't talk to the devil. Paul writes in, uh, in second, to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians uh, 6.14, For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship uh, has the light with the darkness? None. There is no chance of a relationship between Jesus and anything that he has cast uh, permanent judgment on, like the demons and Satan. There's nothing to discuss. Jesus isn't there for a conversation. He's locked in to deliver the death blow, and his own death and triumphant resurrection is what's going to accomplish that. All right, now we get, we'll pick it up a little bit as we go through the rest of the text. Is there any questions before we go forward or comments? I don't know why my computer won't connect to the internet, so I can't look online. I'm sorry for those of you online. Um, all right. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give this authority and to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you will then worship me. See, so, okay. With the first temptation, he was chipping away at God up till up until here. Excuse me. Now he shows his cards. He, he, he shows his hand. Uh, he wants what only God is worthy of, and that's worship. He even thinks he can get it from God. Satan makes people very disillusioned, but he himself, it's, it's been said about him before that he, he's the deceiver, right? So he's so deceiving that he's self-deceived, and probably thinks he can get out of what is written that's coming for him. None are more disillusional uh, than the devil. So the more we allow him to chip away at our faith in God, the more we allow him into God's throne in our hearts. And, the, and that's how we are in the position that we're in when 1 John uh, 5.19 says, the whole world is under his sway. And it says in 2 Corinthians, I think, 4, 4, somewhere around there, uh, that it calls Satan the god of this world. See, and, and, and so when you read the book of Colossians, when it's talking about Jesus, saying he came and he rescued you out of the domain of darkness. There's two kingdoms. And he brought you into the kingdom of his beloved son that he loves. God the Father rescued you through his son, filled you with his spirit. And now you're in the kingdom of light. All right, if you will then worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That's Deuteronomy 6.13. Um, Satan tempted Jesus to, to take a detour around the, around the cross by taking the easy way to power. Satan says, I'll give you my kingdom if you'll worship me. Uh, Jesus is God not taking the easy way out. Jesus is God not taking the easy way out. Remember, he never uses his deity to cheat. Sometimes when God supernaturally saves him from something, like we'll talk about, I think next week, where the text gets a little mysterious, they're, they're going to go throw him off this cliff. We got to put a picture of that cliff on there because it's a cliff. It's a proper cliff. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and it says Jesus walked through the crowd. God supernaturally preserved his life for the time that he set aside to take his life. Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is, yeah. He, uh, as the God of this world, lowercase God, talking about Satan here, um, as he rules his temporary kingdom, which he was cast down into, uh, he will start chipping away at everything within our society through the people that don't belong to God as to, as to kill, steal, and destroy our faith, hope, and love, of the faith, hope, and love in God in the church. And so you'll see that through specific examples of things like what we what culture largely thinks about gender, and, and that's just one example of where you see that happening. One thing to keep in mind is, you know, in Genesis 1 and, and the first part of, of Genesis 2, it talks about God made everything according to its kind. So he differentiated things mm -hmm. right out of the gate, and then he said it's good. Yeah. It's good according to its kind differentiation is good so you know you have things things are defined a certain way so that you can have order mm -hmm. so what we're experiencing now is the is the collapse of those category differentiations let's yeah. call men women and women men and let's let's blur it all together yeah. and essentially what he's trying to do is take us back to that moment of chaos that the created order was created out of He's right. basically trying to undo yeah. creation and undo our humanity. For everything that God creates, Satan counterfeits, and so he's ushering his creation in yeah. by turning gods upside down to the best of his being allowed to, which is a very loaded statement. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so we would, as the church, do very good to remember that we error when we tell the creator of a thing how that thing should work in regards to sex, sexuality, gender, money, any, everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, we get mm -hmm. we get called bigots. That's the very popular word today. But 
I, I, think, I think this is an important point. Yeah. Because we're called to speak the truth in love. Yeah. Always in love. And, of course, we Christians haven't always been good about the love part. They've been good about the truth part. Mm-hmm. And the love part is, you know, it, that's, very, that's a very relational term. Mm-hmm. But um, we, we, have to, we have to recognize that religious language will be used in this process mm-hmm. of deconstructing everything that's good. And so the only way we can know whether or not it's from God isn't whether or not they say it's from God. We just know it by their fruit. Yeah. Is it, is it lining point. up with scripture? Is it lining up with, you know, the creational categories? Yeah, we would do well to obey Jesus and not just push back at the evil in the world, but how does he tell us to push back? Love our enemies. Yeah. Most and, we'll get into. And, and we also know that when... Love his enemies. When, when, when culture is going in a different direction, that's when the church is in a, g- g- moving into a season of persecution. Yes. And we've never experienced that. At least I haven't in my lifetime. No, th- I mean, th- we're living in a t- we haven't experienced uh, Christian persecution like a lot of the world has uh, in, in America. The last two hundred years or so ish um, has been what's different. So maybe we'll catch up with the rest of the world soon as regards to the persecution. Yeah, can I can I make one more comment? Please. You know, th- this is about testing what's inside of us right based on external forces and of course some that are inside as well Mm -hmm. i i believe the last year has been a test for the church and it's really brought to the surface what's inside of us yeah the good the bad and the ugly and i think we've all had to deal with that and i would be the first to tell you i haven't gone through this past year perfectly at all yeah it's brought stuff to light in my own character my own my own person that God's saying, yeah, these are some things you need to work on mm-hmm. because you've gone through the testing, tempting period, and it's shown where you're lacking. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think God's been harsh about it. I think he's just saying you've, you've had to come face-to-face with this, and you've got to own it now. Yeah. Um, what the church needs to recognize that this is that this is a season for that to happen. Yeah. And it's part of the reason why I believe you and I are going through this wonderful study in luke yeah helping us yeah that we, that we all are yeah this is this is largely where the battle's fought wherever this is opened even if you're by yourself at your kitchen table or if you're here with your brothers and sisters right here always has been this is this is our shelter and our weapon and our embrace of god is where his words kind of give us that hug that we so need physically from our actual fathers. Okay. So Satan attempts Jesus to detour from the cross by taking the easy way out. And, God, and Jesus is God not taking the easy way out. So look to Jesus and endure. We need especially to endure now. Times aren't easy regardless if you're not being persecuted, right? Uh, so, also, Satan's claim here is a little exaggerated about him being able to, I mean, he has great authority over the world, but not authority to deliver kingdoms. He exaggerates his power. Um, he can only go so far as God's allow has allowed him. He's chained within borders. We Sometimes we picture Satan like this ravenous dog that's at loose, but no, God has a leash on him. You see him in the 
these illustrations in the book of uh, First Kings to him, I think around chapter 18, somewhere in there, or in, or, uh, in Job, he still has to present himself before God. Oh, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, I mean, yeah. that I, deserves a lot of explaining there. That opens up a whole like, yeah. well, what if God, yeah. I, I think that, that that's yeah. an important point because, you know, there was a time when he was part of the divine council. Mm-hmm. And then in Romans t- or, uh, Revelation 12, we see that imagery of hi- him being cast out of that council, and 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 he's and he's and he's basically relegated to being part of what's happening on earth. So he's been definitely demoted, but now he's playing this this lunatic role yeah. of trying to take over down here. Yeah. And the good news is that Jesus said. You don't have to be under the tyranny of his presence here if you live under the umbrella of my lordship and the kingdom. Mm, that's good. You know, and I think that's a re- reality that we have to kind of showcase because yeah. he's definitely showing his hand right now. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. But he's been demoted, and that's that's the thing that we, we, we need to realize is that he's – he was up there, like we read about in mm-hmm. you know, Zechariah and Job and and uh, uh, that passage in First Kings you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's he's not there anymore. He's he, he's we're stuck with him. Yes. Thank God for this text, though, that tells yes. us that we got <laughs> the big brother in the playground. Yes. yes. Uh, only God is worthy to be worshipped. You shall worship the Lord your God and. Him only shall you serve. It's from serving him only that you then have the ability to serve all the other people that the word tells you to. He's the, the gospel is, Jesus is, the gas in your tank. So that when you hit the gas, you can go forward. And he took him to Jerusalem. This is where Luke's gospel, or Luke's account is a little different. In Matthew's account, he, this is the second temptation. Here it's the third one because Luke is bringing us to the temple. Uh, Leonard will do a lot better job at opening that up as we get to further along in the book. Uh, if you didn't know. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. Southeast corner of the temple was set over a cliff that was about 450 feet. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written. All right, now Satan tries, it is written. It's been working so good for Jesus. Satan gives it a whirl now. Uh, knows the, he knows the Bible. He's able to quote it, but he doesn't believe or love it because he hates its author. So what does he do? He takes it out of context. We need to be very careful when we're reading our Bible passages, and uh, that's a, for a different day, but we don't, just essentially, don't put meaning into the text when you're reading the Bible. Your job is to draw it out, okay? When we put our own meaning on into it, we change it, even if it's just in our minds, and make it, make it say what we want to internally. Now, you bring it out, you accept what it says. That's, that's huge. That's why if you don't have a good study, there's a good plug-in for, uh, for these remaining two. I would love to run out of these and have to go get more. That'd be an awesome problem to have. Um, 
All right. So now, for it is written, he will come, and he quotes Psalm uh, 91, 11, and 12 here. And he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands he will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. He takes the word out of context. We need to pay attention to context when we're reading so as not to be like Satan. Uh, in this psalm, it's about, it's about God's protection but using scripture to your own, uh, uh, using scripture to your own will doesn't make God submit to your your agenda. Say, but God, you said this. There's a time to say that, but it's when you're submitting to God. You see, David submitted to God, reminding God, not that he forgot, but reminding God, this is what you've said. That's a good and wonderful thing to pray and do. However, uh, when you're trying to get your own will and use scripture to do it, but you said. I will have all things. So where's my Bentley and my drum set and my, you know, okay. Get it? Um, don't obey God in his name for your will. Because there's uh, that's the mark of a false disciple, like in Matthew 7, 21 through 20. They did things in God's name for their own will. They wanted to look a certain way before God and just check the boxes different sermon. Uh, And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6.16. Jesus says here, God is to be trusted, not tested. He doesn't submit to us, but he does serve us. We submit to him. We owe him that, all of that. And it's better for us when we do. Seems hard to believe it's better for us when we're resisting. But after you finally come around to God and he draws you and he's patient with you, it's like, oh man, I wish I would have did that the first time. Um, when the devil had ended the te- every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Re- resist the devil and he will flee. Jesus is, is the stronger lion. Jesus took three temptations here and passed them all. These were massive temptations. The devil offered to end Jesus' suffering. Jesus came to suffer. Doesn't take the easiest way out. I don't know. I don't think I know that one. Yeah. Different commentators have said different different things. Uh, Karen asked, just for you online, yes. how the devil appeared, if it was physical or if it was internal. Yeah, yeah. So, somehow he showed up, if nothing else, just in the form of whispering into his ear. Yeah. Um, we just don't know how he manifested himself. The text is really unclear about that. But I think that's amb- that amb- ambiguity is there for a reason. Yeah. Because he's never going to show up in a way that we expect him. It's hard, yeah. It's hard to imagine the devil having any real estate in Jesus' head. But perhaps Jesus humbled himself in the form of a human so much and had to be just like us yet without sin um, that it could have been a whisper. 
it seemed it was, physical think, in the garden. I think garden, it was a whisper but, from yeah. outside, though. I don't think, yeah. you know, because I, I think one thing we, we do know about Jesus is because we know this about ourselves through Adam, we have our own bent. Yes. So we kind of bring some of that, we kind of feed it, and then he just allows it to kind of, like he, he may hear our own sinfulness talking, and he may say, oh, it's time to show up. Hey, your flesh started a fire over here. Yeah. I'm going to throw a log on it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Whereas I think with Jesus, he just showed <laughs> up and maybe maybe came. Have you ever talked to somebody, and as you're talking to them, you're, you're face-to-face, but sometimes you start talking, and they want to keep talking, like they want to keep moving over here to your side? Have you ever had that experience or not? Yeah. But yeah. it's kind of like that. He's sort of like, I'm not going to show you my face, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to at least c- cause you to focus on casting doubt. Yeah. On that. So I, I don't. To answer Karen's question, I, I don't know that anybody knows. Yeah. We know the exchange happened. I don't know what form he was in during it. Sometimes it's a good thing to say I don't know, so I don't make something up. <laughs> All right, so the, perp- uh, the point of this is adherence to Jesus is victory because it's by his victory that we have any access into the kingdom and are saved. So adherence to self, you've already lost. That's why when you're temptation, you don't just, uh, when you're in a moment of temptation, you don't just white knuckle it. You go to your king, you go to your big brother, you go get him, you need him. So the takeaway is Jesus. He's the right answer for everything. The devil hits us when we're tired, isolated, hungry, needing rest, love, and satisfaction. Jesus was more tired, more isolated, hungrier than any of us ever have been or will be. Uh, But he had God. So he had all the rest, love, and satisfaction he'd ever need, even if he wasn't tired, isolated, and hungry. See, Jesus is alone. He doesn't have any fellowship, but he has God. That's, if you have God, you have everything you need, even if you're completely alone elsewhere. Um, so praise God for Jesus because our identity is in his finished work. I hope we see that more and more as we go forward. It's, that's going to keep coming up. When you, when you read the Bible and it makes you feel just absolutely desperate, that should be an indicator that you're relying on the wrong person. And uh, so when we come to a heavy text, um, it's actually a joy for a Christian to go through it. Whereas someone who doesn't quite see it that way, doesn't quite realize that Christ is everything I am and everything I need, and they still think I need to religious my way into God's favor, the Bible will be very crushing for you when you read it like that. That's why we need the gospel instilled in us so much, because the gospel tells us it's about him. He did everything. And so, that's what helps us to breathe. That gives us strength to succeed where we fail every time. Ask God to open your eyes to the love of Christ as we look at him in his word. That's where we draw our strength from. Seeing his victory gives us a taste of it, and we want him all the more for all that he is. In the midst of attack, worship, pray, plead. Look, uh, Jesus stood up to the great enemy of God and his people so we can get our big brother when he's picking on us. And that's how we fight, because there is a bully. Bully's on the playground. Uh, 
but we get to go get our big brother. We're saved into a war. We have to fight. We were saved into a war that only Christ wins, though. And so we adhere to him. We have to live in a sinful world, but we don't have to give into it because of Jesus. Jesus makes, makes it possible for us to be in the world, but not of the world. He takes us out of the sway of the devil uh, and reorients us to God. The gospel is God making you for God. Is God through his son, by the power of his spirit, making, remaking us for God. And that makes us able to fight, able to run the race. Jesus withstanding enables his church to withstand. His withstanding enables us to stand. And we'll close it out here. If Jesus was not more powerful than sin, his cross, his blood would not have resolved our sin problem. If Jesus fails here, fails everywhere. If he fails here and gives in, he's then a sinner and he can't, he's not, he's not then that perfect sacrifice. See how he wins everywhere? And then you remember your sin and you're so grateful to him now. See, we see the blood of Jesus cleansing us from all sin because it is strong enough. Uh, we can trust to the point it's so strong we can trust our eternity. Stake our eternity on it. Finished on the person and finished works of Jesus Christ because it's enough. Jesus is stronger than temptation, able to break its leash. Jesus is better than sin, better than sin able to forgive you into life. And Jesus is more powerful than Satan, able to slay the dragon with the sword of his word. The good news is our big brother doesn't give up, give in, or give out. His victory counts for us by faith. The same as David's victory over Goliath counted for the whole army, and Goliath's defeat counted for the whole Philistine army. So, Father, thank you for sending your son. Jesus, thank you for perfectly, fully, here in this text, defeating our great enemy. And thank you for the cross where you crushed his head. Thank you for bruising your heel for us, though the text says. Because when you rose, you died to save us from everything that he would ever accuse us of. So, and you come alongside of us, you intercede for us. So while he's accusing, you can stand up in that courtroom between, with us at your table and say, no, Father, I have paid for everything. And so we can have that victorious gift given to us, the gift of victory given to us. It's not something we win, it's something you won. And you give us that gift of victory. And we get to walk with you forever, with you as our God. You with your people. We're reunited. That's a... The day is coming where that will be our full reality. So help us to be encouraged by this. You stay with us. Thank you for coming to get us in our wondering gathering us back so we can be safe in your fold.
righteousness. For your wonderful and perfect name we pray. Thank you.